0: morning. Isn't it wonderful to all be in the same room together in service? This is fantastic. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. That video that we just watched is part one of three parts. The other other two parts we're going to watch this evening, right before the, the evening meal, I believe, and then in the evening service. So we want to make sure that back and uh, won't have to hear from the four of us anymore. It's other people talking to us. So, Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever, ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word gospel. I'm grateful for the church, I'm grateful for this local body, I'm grateful for everything that you have done to take sinners who hated you and one another, transform them into saints who love you. We moved to pray for the future. We ask these things in Jesus' name. As we see. Ephesians is the, the first book that we studied together at Providence. It seemed the perfect place to start because Paul wrote Ephesians to make it clear to the church. Who the church is to be. The church exists for the glory of God. And the high point of that letter comes in verse 21 that we just read, which reads, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen." And on our first Sunday together, we, we heard an overview message on the book of Ephesians. And the the main idea of that message was... If we, this, this church that we're planting, if this church is going to be a people for the glory of God, then this is what the book of God calls us to be. These are the five things that, that God's word calls us to be. If we're going to be a people for the glory of God. And the team planning this, this celebration today thought that it would be fitting to go back to the beginning and hear that message again. I'm not going to do exactly that because of time constraints and and, um, young, restless people in the room. So a 45-minute message might be a bit too much to ask. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, This is not going to be a typical message. Um, It's not even going to be a typical overview message. We're going to revisit three points from that first message. And regarding each of those points, we're going to look at where we are now. Okay, so this week as, as I went over those original sermon notes from 10 years ago, I was so encouraged to see that we are on the, the right track, that, that the things that, that I preached in that message that, that Ephesians calls us to, we resemble that church, and by God's grace, we've not drifted from those things. And in 1 Corinthians 5.10, this is the the verse that came to mind as I was was going through those sermon notes. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul writes, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And if we, Providence Bible Fellowship, if we are in any way what Ephesians calls us to be, ten years after that first message was preached, it is by the grace of God. So... This morning, very briefly, we're going to have we're going to have some things to praise God about as we look at a few of those points from that first message. And yet, we're not the perfect church. Anybody shocked by this? Now, if you've been here for ten years, you're like, yeah, definitely, we're not not the perfect church. We have a malevolent foe who would seek to thwart any attempts of ours to continue to grow into a church that exists for the glory of God. And so with each of these points from that first message, I'm going to give an exhortation or a warning regarding how we need to be watchful as it pertains to that point. And then if we're to continue to grow into a church for the glory of God, we must have God continuing to work in and through us. And so with each of those points, we're going to identify something to pray for, okay? So we're going to revisit three points from that original message, and, and th- those are three things that, that must be true of a people who would exist for the glory of God. And for each of those, each of those points, we'll recognize a reason for praise, a necessary warning, and a call to prayer. Okay. So first of all, to be a people for the glory of God, we must be a people of theology and worship. A people of theology and worship. If you want to flip over to the beginning of the book of Ephesians and look at 1.3, 1.3 3 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now in John 15, for the last two weeks, we've talked about how Jesus uses bookends on a passage there to make a point. Paul does the same thing here in the first chapter, first three chapters of Ephesians. He got that idea from Jesus, this book idea, the bookends thing. The first bookend is 1-3, Blessed Be God. And the idea there, blessed be God, it simply means God is worthy of praise. And Paul essentially, at the beginning of the book, is calling us to worship God for the many blessings that he has given us in Christ. That's the first bookend on the first part of the book. Okay, Now turn over to the, the, the two verses that we read just a moment ago at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Now, how would we characterize those verses? I'd say we should characterize them the same way we do verse three in chapter one. It's a call to worship. It's just like verse three. It's a call to worship. So we've got one, three. Blessed be God, and then 321, to God be the glory. Two bookends saying the same thing. God is worthy of all worship and glory. (laughs) Those are the bookends. Now what's in between these bookends? I'm not going to give you verse references for each of these things for the sake of time, but here's what's between the bookends. Okay, I'm going to put labels on all of the stuff in between the bookends. Here we go. Election, predestination, redemption, revelation, sovereignty, eternal security, illumination, divine power, the resurrection, the dominion of Christ, ecclesiology, inability, absolute depravity, divine wrath, regeneration, exaltation, grace, faith, humiliation, I'm sorry, humility, alienation, reconciliation with man, reconciliation with God, the Trinity, adoption, more ecclesiology, more grace, more revelation, apostleship, evangelism, and more illumination. Now, we can take all of those words and cram them into one word, and that word is theology. Biblical truth about God and man, and the internalization of it should lead believers to do what these bookends are calling us to do, and that is to worship and glorify God. God, we have these two calls to worship and crammed between them is enough theology to keep you busy for the rest of your life. And here's what I think we should take from that. The way that Paul has set this up. Theology is intended to be fuel for doxology. Worship is what theology should create in the heart of the believer. Theology in a nutshell, if you take all the systematic theologies and and boil it all down, theology in a nutshell consists of who God is and what he has done and who we are because of what who God is and what he's done, okay? Who God is and what he has done and who we are because of who he is and what he's done and all of that should move us to awe and worship, This is a huge reason why Bible study and expositional preaching was important to us 10 years ago. It's important to us now. It's because the Bible keeps those things in front of us. Who God is and what he's done and who we are because of who he is and what he's done. And the result of those things should be that we are moved to worship this God. Right Now here's here's a, a reason to praise God. Providence Bible Bible Fellowship is a place of theology and worship in 2018, I would say. We take theology seriously. That theology informs our view of God, which moves us to worship him. And so with Paul, we should say, by the grace of God, we are what we are. I I was talking to Pastor John last week. He said something that I found to be very insightful. He said, it is only by the grace of God that we are not Rob Bell. Some of you don't know who Rob Bell is. Rob Bell is one of the world's foremost heretics. But he formerly held theology just like ours. In other words, there was a time in his life when Rob Bell could have been an elder at Providence Bible Fellowship. Now, why is he where he is and we are not? Why are we where we are? It is only by the grace of God. So praise God that Providence Bible Fellowship is a place of theology and worship. Now, a necessary warning. The enemy would love, love for us to divorce those two things, theology and worship, so that either theology becomes an end in itself or our worship is not informed by theology and for a church like Providence, I think the former is the greater danger. I've, I've seen this in myself, particularly in those early years of, of Providence. There's the tendency for theology to become an end in itself, and it's a dark place. It'll suck the joy in life out of following Christ. Because when theology becomes an end in itself, it all ends up being about being right. We're right, and they're wrong, and that's all that matters. But the theology is, is in its right place. It is a means to knowing and enjoying God. And we must be desperate for the person and not the facts of God. If we don't enjoy God more, love God more, worship God more as a result of a robust theology then theology has likely become an end in itself and we are in danger. We must be on guard against that. We must be on guard against that. And so, here's a call to prayer Then, Let us pray that every time we open our Bibles, every time, privately and corporately, every time we learn biblical truth, every time we discuss a finer detail of a given doctrine, every time we think deeply about the things of God together or on our own, our hearts burst with passion for God and we worship. May God save us from big heads, tiny hearts. God save us from that, man. Pray daily that save us. From that. Second, to be a people for the glory of God, we must be a people passionate about the gospel. We must be a people passionate about the gospel. It could be said about the first half of Ephesians that it's all gospel. It's all about what God has done in Christ to take sinners who hated God and one another and transformed them into saints who love God and one another. If I've said that one time in the last 10 years, I've said it 150 times. I got it from Ephesians. Ephesians teaches this. We've revisited Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, hundreds of times. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, following after the, the devil and the flesh and the world, and were by nature children of wrath, That is, because of our sin, because of our our slavery to sin, we were by nature children of wrath. We were under the the eternal wrath of God. Doomed, doomed and helpless, completely helpless. But, turn over to chapter 2, verse 4 with me. 2, verse 4. Home to two of the most precious words in Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness, Toward us in Christ Jesus. By Christ's bloody cross and empty tomb, He's reconciled us to Himself. Given us eternal life. Given us new hearts. United us to one another. Adopted us into His family and made us co-heirs with Christ of all the blessings in the heavenly places. Will you ever get tired of that? I hate not. So here's a reason for praise. Ten years on, Providence Bible Fellowship is a gospel-soaked church. We talk about it, we pray it, we sing it, we read it, we preach it, we breathe it, we feed on it. I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for this because before we started this church, we in the Joneses, we would have settled or Siri regurgitating the gospel. Just Siri, tell me the gospel. That we would have been thrilled with that. We're so hungry to hear the gospel, and now we hear it every week, don't we? We, we hear people talking about it all the time. Praise God. That old, old story. It never gets old. By the grace of God, we are what we are. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Now, a necessary warning the enemy would convince us that it's possible for us to be passionate about the gospel without spreading the gospel outside of this local church. Paul talks in chapter 3 about the grace given to him to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ to the Gentiles, but he indicates in that letter that that privilege and grace is not unique to him and the Apostles. In chapter 4, when he's naming these these equippers that God has given to the church, he names evangelists as equippers of the church. What would evangelists equip the church to do but evangelism? What a horror if sharing the gospel with the lost was the domain only of a few. But given the context of of that passage in chapter 4, we know it's impossible for the church to, to be the church without being a people who evangelize. Those who are passionate about the gospel, really passionate about the gospel, they talk about it to everyone, the saved and the unsaved. You can't shut them up. And we must be so careful not to allow ourselves to be convinced that we love it, really love it, if the only place we talk about it is in the privacy of our homes or the safety of this church. So here's a prayer. We're called a prayer. May we so delight in the gospel that threats of death won't shut us up. God. This beautifully absurd story of a God who loves so deeply that he gives his own son to suffer for his enemies so that they might become sons and daughters. God give us hearts that, that like Paul, say, Woe is me. If I do not proclaim the gospel, I'll die if I can't talk about this. To the saved and to the unsaved. Let's pray that together. Let's pray that together. Finally, to be a people for the glory of God, we must be pursuing unity. We must be a people pursuing unity. For one. Let's turn over to chapter 4, verse 1. Paul turns the corner and says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now Paul has made clear in the first half of the book that the gospel transforms people. And those who have been transformed by the gospel, he then he then shows in, in four and following chapters four and following, those who have been transformed by the gospel, they then live differently. They understand that the gospel is taken manifold sinners and put them in one body with Christ as the head, they now exist to demonstrate by their love the manifold wisdom and power of God. So with humility gentleness and patience, they bear with one another in love. They actively pursue unity and eradicate division understanding that they are one body for the glory of God. So here's a reason for praise. I've been in church all my life. All my life. I've never been in a place as patient and loving as, as Providence Bible Fellowship. We're not perfect. We're not perfect, but God has created a remarkable atmosphere of forbearance and unity here By the grace of God, we are what we are. Now, a necessary warning. The enemy would love, love to have us nurture personal hurts and minimize the danger of that activity. The enemy would love to have us nurture personal hurts and minimize the danger of that activity. Now, I'm going to ask for some honesty from everybody in the room here, okay? Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by someone at Providence Bible Fellowship. I'm raising my hand. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by somebody at Providence Bible Fellowship. Okay. Higher, please. Okay. Now, some of you are lying, and some of you are new. If you're lying, repent if you're new just be patient we'll hurt you eventually <laughs> we will, we will hurt you eventually because we're not perfect almost everybody was raising their hands most people in here are raising their hands now if, you're raised, if you were raising your hand just a moment ago guess who caused those hurts everyone else raising their hands we hurt each other we hurt each other We've been doing it for 10 years, have we not, brother? I've heard Rick Jones over and over over the last 10 years. What does the gospel say about this? The gospel says we are one body. And the hand cannot say to the foot, You stink, I don't need you anymore. The, the gospel not only sets an example of unfathomable forgiveness, but. It enables us through changed hearts to offer that same forgiveness to others. I I just said, I've hurt Rick so many times over the last 10 years. Why does he still love me? Why? Why is he closer than a brother to me? Because he's owned by Jesus Christ and he loves the gospel. That's the only reason. He should have been long gone. Do you know who poses the greatest risk? Of this body, Providence, Patroclus. Who poses the greatest danger to the unity of the body of Providence, Patroclus? Who is that? Each of us must be convinced. Must be convinced. It is not the person sitting next to us. It's not the person who has hurt us. Rather, it's the person that we see in the mirror every day. You must tell yourself this. You must tell yourself this. My pride, my potential to nurture past offenses, my tendency to talk to others about it and avoid the person who hurt me. That thing is a bomb waiting to go off. If you have hurt that you're nurturing, you're like a suicide bomber in the middle of a church with your thumb on the detonator. Repent of your pride. Listen, you, I, I don't know how many of you saw the, the hands. Those of you in the front, you couldn't see all these. There are hands everywhere here. If you've been hurt at Providence, you're not special. We've all been hurt. We've all been hurt. The offenses of those persons against you, those things alone, are not what put Christ on the cross. Your sin did too. And Jesus said in Matthew 6.15, if you don't forgive others, don't go to the Father looking for forgiveness for yourself. You won't find it. Let's all look to the cross and repent and defuse those bombs. Defuse those bombs. Because no church will survive if you don't. How do we defuse them? Paul tells us. It's great news. He tells us two passages. At the beginning, we just, we just read it in 4.2. Look there again. 4.2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Okay? So we pursue that. Humility, gentleness, love, patience, forbearance in love. Okay? And then at the end of chapter four, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And we would love to convince every one of us that we have a special hurt that is worth either leaving the church over or staying and making a mess with. That is not the Holy Spirit talking. It's the enemy talking. Pursuing unity is hard work. It's hard work, but it's gospel work. It's God-glorifying work. And let's just not allow the enemy to use us as tools to destroy the bride of Christ. So here's, here's a call to prayer. May the Lord shape our hearts in such a way that we expect hurt and pain, and we graciously respond as did Christ to us. May we be characterized by the aggressive, aggressive pursuit of unity through humble, gentle, loving, forbearance, and a pathological eagerness to reconcile. Pathological eagerness to reconcile. We set out 10 years ago to be a people for the glory of God and so much to be thankful for. We are what we are. Because of the grace of God. Praise God for what he's done. But there is great danger in that. The world and our own flesh and the devil rage against the glory of God. And therefore, those three enemies will oppose any church that is standing for the glory of God. So let's be on guard against those things. And then let's be on our knees with vigilance, praying that God would enable us to continue to grow as a people for the glory of God for another 10 years, and another 20 years, another 30 years, until we're all dead, and then our children are, are standing for the glory of God, and then our grandchildren are standing for the glory of God. Let's not let this be about the last 10 years, because the glory of God is not going to die with us, Praise God for what He's done. Let's be on guard. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. And more. What, is, what does 320 say again? Now, to Him who is able to do far more, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think, according to the power that says, Work within us, to Him be the glory of the Church in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever.